This is King Tech, and on today's podcast, we'll be hanging out with Roy Choi, the man behind the famous Kogi food trucks, and ask him how Wu-Tang Clan and their music parallels to his journey as a chef. Also, Alex C., the show's producer slash showrunner and writer of Wu-Tang and American Saga, will make a stop through to explain a few scenes in episode 9 that might have had you scratching your head. Y'all ready? Let's go. Roy! Hey! <laughs> What's up, man? How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. It feels like early Wu-Tang in this room right now. Hey, hey brother, first of all, congratulations on all your success. Thank you. Um, I mean, dude, I just looked you up last night for hours and hours and hours and hours. I was like, my God, man, this has been a hell of a journey for you. I can't believe it's still going, man. You know, like, it's getting better as I'm getting older. It's crazy. It is crazy, yeah. man. It is crazy. So did you watch... The Wu-Tang series yet, and what do you think of it so far, and how does it kind of reflect your own journey? Yes, I did. I've been watching it on Hulu uh, up until whatever's been released, seven, and then I got the, uh, uh, whatever you call it, the pre-release of eight and nine, so yes. I've seen up to nine, yes. to the end of nine, yes. and um, yeah, I definitely, I mean, I'm definitely from that same era, so I can connect to it. Um even though I'm from different coasts, I can connect to the to, to being young in that period of time, right. to not having money, to having a hustle, to having creativity, but being on the streets and um, just trying to figure out where you fit in in this world. Um, obviously, I'm not African American; I'm Asian, but I dealt with my own stuff going on, you know, okay. my own levels of. Uh, you know, roadblocks and walls and racism and par parental pressure and uh, right. addiction and drugs and fighting and all these things. So just trying to figure all that out between the age of like 16 to 22. So right. that was right around the time, you know, I was introduced to Wu-Tang as well. So now addiction and drugs, how did you yeah. get into it and how did you get out of it? Uh, I was not addicted to drugs as much as I was to gambling. And um, the gambling is, I mean, being addicted to drugs is horrible, right. you know, um, because it, it can literally kill you, right? And it can literally deteriorate your whole body, body soul, presence and soul yeah. and existence within this world. But gambling does that to you plus everyone around you. So um, being addicted to drugs will destroy you and maybe the closest people within your circumference, um, like very, very close. But gambling will take that and move it from your street out to the whole block, out to the whole neighborhood, and you'll start. It just takes you down a path where you lose sense of reality, you lose sense of your moral fiber. Um, I've always been someone in my life that has, um, even as a kid, I was always a stand-up dude, you know, like even as a little kid. Like I've been a latchkey kid since I was about four years old. Okay. And, um, you know, my parents both worked and hustled. They worked jobs and then they hustled jewelry and kimchi, selling it out the trunk and everything like that. And they were gone, um, but they would pop back home and eat dinner. But I was alone pretty much all day. And this was the 70s, so it was a, a different era, you know. And um, I think back now of, like, like, I used to walk the streets all the time and, like, take the bus and everything alone as, like, a five-year-old. Mm -hmm. I, and I think that was an adult. Like, what the fuck was this bus driver thinking? You know, right? You know, but right. it's just the way it was. So, um, uh, yeah. I mean, like, 
I was just really close to my family. I was always a stand-up person. I always had like this, you know, they built me up a lot being Asian. They built, and it, just my position in life, I was the last son with my name in the lineage of my family for almost 2,000 years. I was the last son, the oldest son. I'm, I'm the person that carries the last seed of the name. So they spoke to me in folklore my whole life, and, you know, and they built this kind of, in many ways, like a Shaolin kind of storyline in my mm. head of like who I was and all these you're things. You're special. You're special. You're you special. You're special. You yeah, yeah. Feeding you, you right. know, right. hand to mouth, everything, you know, almost like getting a, a prize fighter ready for a fight. Right. Like, um, Did you ever get angry at your parents for doing that, man? Because that's, that's a lot of pressure for a kid also that wanted to do, be different, do different. Um, you, did you ever get into it with them? You don't really get angry as an Asian kid, man. You got you got to eat that shit up yourself, you know. So you bottled it in. You bottle it in a lot of time. I can't, you know. I'm sure there are a few people that snap back at their moms, but there's very few. Um, right, right. And you bottle that stuff and you carry it with you. But even through all of that, I was always someone that showed up on time. You know, uh, held my end of the bargain. Um, was always down. Didn't matter if I just met you. If we clicked, I was down with you. I was, you know, if you got in a fight, I'd be right there. Even if we just met, if you needed something, if you needed a ride. My, my, my old um, Twitter handle used to be riding shotgun because I was just a dude. Down. Oh, I was down. always the dude in shotgun. That's who I was my whole life until Kogi happened. And, um, and so, but then there was a period in my life where I got addicted to gambling from about 20 years old to about 24 years old so a four-year fucking spiral and well how do you gamble and, if you have no money though how do you do that i won oh i won i won i won in the you losing money no i know but i won that's the whole arc of gambling i won in the beginning so first time i went i started playing pan nine and poker and a little bit of pie gal and i was winning like 640 bucks maybe 480 bucks 100 and 90 bucks but that's a lot of money for a kid in k-town you know i can go right. out to the club that night right get a whole table blow that whole thing and fucking have shorties around me everywhere right. and just have a hell of a time the beverly center used to have a 24-hour uh electronic store go there in the middle of the night and buy a flat screen tv or they weren't flat screens back then but a big old box tv you know right the, proje right, right. Yeah, the yeah, projection yeah. ones and so it was that it was going up and then then you start losing um and you start to try to get that confidence back. And in any case, what happens is you reach that point of no return where um, everything that you've built up in your life that you've been known for can be destroyed in a second. And then you start borrowing money. You start living on couches. You start not paying people back. Um, start lying. Start digging through your family's purses, closets. It's, um, you know, it's a, it's a really horrible thing. And... Uh, so yeah, that was that was uh, a period of my life where Wu Tang had just come out, and wow. so I was in a spiral. Their music, you know, I didn't originally get into Wu Tang when they first came out, ninety three, ninety four, ninety five, because right. I was in that spiral. But it was there, kind of like just one step away. So but who then, who hipped you to them? Who's like everybody had somebody that would come to you and be like, "Yeah, hey, you heard this Wu Tang shit." Well, I come know? from the era of mixtapes, swap meets. Um, uh, low riding and um gang culture you know mm. so it was just around uh i can't remember specifically who hit who me brought to it to you? Yeah. yeah okay but it was just around but again i was in such a spiral 
it was just it was just around. Um, I was more into West Coast shit at that time. I was listening to you guys' show later on, and then when I finally got back out and found myself again and kind of rebuilt all the bridges that I burned, right. I moved to New York in ninety late ninety six. Why? Why New York? To cook. I okay. um, at the end of my rope, I found cooking, and so I I kind of like put my whole life back together you know, piece by piece, like a Lego kit. And it took about a year and a half. It was like a rehabilitation. Now you got to tell me the story of how you yeah. found the love for cooking. Cause that seems like, so we just yeah. went from gambling, mm -hmm. shorties at the club, flat yeah. screen TVs. Yeah. And all of a sudden one day I'm like, I, love, I found cooking. Like, yeah. so what happened? So from there, so that's like 90, it's like 93, 94. Okay. So then from there, I kind of went on a, even if, so my parents ba ba actually saved me from the casino because I, I, I basically gambled all the rent away. I lost all my friends. They, and they reached a point where they had to finally just call my parents and be like, yo, you need to pick your fucking son up. You know, the casino yeah, he, called your parents. No, my friends. Your friends yeah. called your parents. But they, that was the, that's one thing in my crew. You never, you know, you never do that. Right. But they were at the point where there was no, there was no return. Right. And so. And they were just basically, um, they basically, you know, I burned that bridge and they just said, you need to pick your son up because right. this guy is about to die and he's about, you know, or we're going to kill him, you know, in that, in that sense, you know, right, it, it right. was that level. So, but out of love though, not like we're going to kill him, like we're going to, like you owe money. It's, uh, it's kind of like what you guys did between Ray and, and Ghost. It was, it was, uh. It's, it's love. It could go one way. They oh. were mad enough that it could go another way, you know? And gotcha. so, um, but I wasn't, I was at the end of the gambling spiral then. So when you're talking the arc of gambling, you're talking a few hundred bucks. I was winning, I got to the point where I was winning $10,000 a night, you right. know? Um, I was going against really hardcore Hong Kong gangsters at that time. And, were they uh, happy with you winning? Armenian players. And They're not, not happy with talking, winners, I was, right? I was young, man. I didn't give a shit. I was talking so much shit. I was. I, I would. I, I would. I would do shit like I'm. I, there's no screen. There's. I know there's not being recorded. Uh, video recorded, but just dropping bets down. I mean, you could smoke back then. It's like oh, no, smoking yeah, yeah. cigarettes and not even looking. Be like, fuck all y'all. Y'all should leave right now. And then I would win. You know, just like complete blind cockiness. Oh my you know, god! All that stuff. Yeah. And um, did you know there's then, a mob when, out there that that that, that controls this stuff? But I you, didn't care. You didn't no, care. I, I had this like kind of, I had this swagger at that time, you know. And um, and I was, I don't know. It's one of those things where I was also a really good person still too. So it, even with Kogi too, you know, I, yeah. I was a part of a street food revolution where in most cases, it maybe shouldn't have happened for you know an Asian American kid like me here from LA. Right. But I've been able to walk through every neighborhood, you know, feeding people and providing love and connection. Um, because it's just something I think that's within my spirit that people can feel. Right. Um, even if I'm coming across a certain way. But but when my parents grabbed me out, I was like at what's called the one two table, which is I was literally at seventeen dollars to my name. And so and but in when you're trapped in that place, you still think you can make it back all back, the way up. All the way up, yeah. So, parents brought me back in. My mom basically fed me back to life. I was like, 
probably had lost 30, 40 pounds, you know, um, hadn't probably slept or taken shower for weeks, you know, right. um, uh, bouncing between motels and couches and stuff. And so they basically fed me back to life. And um, I tried to, I, I got a job selling mutual funds after that. I did really good, made a lot of money again and started partying again. And then I went on another spiral. I started drinking too much in K-Town, getting into fights every night. That was it. And then burned the same bridges that I rebuilt, I burned again. And I was on a couch and uh, the Essence of Emerald show came on. Um, Emerald Lagasse's first cooking show. Okay. And it was like an out-of-body experience. I felt like he was talking to me. That um, I grew up around food my whole life, but I, I rebelled against it because I was so close to it. Uh, I grew up in a restaurant, Korean restaurant. I grew up in a family that has a lineage for thousands of years of cooking. We have folklore that our family has what's called flavor in our fingertips, you know. Mm. Um, and so it's something on weekends for fun, you know, every weekend, literally 30, 40 people in my house with uh, Hamilton Beach griddles and uh, blenders and pots and butane burners cooking everywhere. You know, making food, taking it right off the thing, stu stuffing it in your mouth. I grew up around around that my whole life. And so um, when cooking came, it, was, it took me that long to figure out that this is what, what I'm meant for. So um, kind of turned on a dime, researched New York, went to New York. My cousin was, um, he was doing his residency out there in New York. He rented me a futon in Manhattan for 250 bucks, up just right below Spanish Harlem. And... Started working in restaurants and got into the CIA, which is in Hyde Park, New York. Became a chef, you know. And was there nothing in L.A. you could have did? Or you, is, is New York the place to go? That was, that's, the CIA, which is called the Culinary Institute of America, is in Hyde Park, New York, just above Poughkeepsie. So about two hours upstate, right. up the Hudson River. And that's considered the Harvard of culinary schools. Right. My, mom, I, my mom wasn't having anything at that point. Because I was actually going to try to go... To your guys' city, I was trying to go to the CCA, which is in San Francisco, area, yeah. on Post Street, right. because I was fucking with this girl at this time, that, and she was um, going to school up there at right. uh, SF State, right. and so SF State, yeah, oh. yeah, man, we would have been hanging out with uh, Dan the Automator, yeah, we could have been right we there, been and I was like, you know, I was like, I'm gonna go to this school because it's it's the Bay and it's right there and all this. And I was making these decisions to make it easier on myself again. Okay. And then finally my mom just sat me down. She's like, listen, if you're going to do this, you got it. This is it, man. You know, right. Like if this doesn't work, like we might have to cut, we might have to cut the rope here. Yeah. Like, like not yeah. just financially or whatever, but like, like everything. Yeah. Like you done fucked up so much. This is it. And she's like, if you're going to do it, do it all the way. Right. And, um, so we found the school, man. It's crazy. And what, when did you feel special in the school? Like when we, what, what's the, the it's like the, Hogwarts? It's 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 a old Jesuit seminary on the banks of the Hudson River. Okay. Um, it's these brick buildings and these hillsides within the forest, just below, like where the whole hippie commune communities um, settled in upstate New York, Woodstock, Rhinebeck, right? Um, and there's just this. This is, there's just this kind of like magical spell and aura around it. And then they have the most structured program. And um, it was just somewhere very far for right. me to go that I, that I knew you I had to You kind of needed to go to kind of. I knew I had to commit to. But I almost fucked it up the first day. Oh, tell Again, me about it. One more, one more time. So, the first day? So, so I, yes, the first day I was like, 
you know, I had everything is like, I got to do right. 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 I was a little bit older than all the other kids, like five years older. Um, most kids were coming in at 19, 20. I was like 27, 26. And I was just like, got to do right. Got to do right. And then the first day in my dorm, everyone was smoking pot in the bathroom. But they were smoking it through um, the toilet paper ring, and they put the bounce uh, fabric softener inside so it wouldn't smell. Right. And they're like, it's cool, man. It's cool. It's cool. And then that school was really strict at that time on smoking pot. They, there was no warning. If they caught you, you were kicked out. Went in the bathroom, got blazed, knock on the door, security guard. Um, and then he started just grabbing everyone. And somehow I got, out, I got under, under one of the grabs. Got and you out. got out of there? Yeah, got out. Like he was grabbing fuckers like this. And then I got <laughs> somehow made it under the grab and right. out. Right. And just, I don't know. I don't know if it was because I was just the quiet Asian kid or something in, in his eye or something like that. Right. Or, uh, you know, I was in his blind spot or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> but I said, <laughs> yeah, those kids got kicked out, you know. So so, so now you yeah. come back from, from NYC. Yeah. And what happens next? Um, I started my career. You know, um, uh, it. I didn't find my calling in life till later, so... You know, career I, I, means what? Like so being you play, a chef, starting so, starting so, the building blocks of becoming a chef. White belt, yellow belt, purple belt. You know. So you um, gotta take a job anywhere when you anywhere first come back. You start, yeah. You start researching where you want to work. What type? Of even food, like music. What, type, uh, yeah, what producers yeah, yeah. you want to work with? What artists you want? What studios are good studios? What things what like sound that. you like? Who, what yeah, sound you like? Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you got to practice? And it's a lot. You were telling me earlier how much you practice your scratching. Yeah, um, I didn't want to come out till I was the best. That was like us as cooks. We would, on the weekends in New York, I would buy literally 50-pound sacks of onions and just cut, just cut, 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 cut all day long, you know? And um, so it was that, just starting that building block. Um, I had to make up for some lost time because, again, I was coming in a little bit late to the game. And um, so I started working in some of the best restaurants in New York, um, working in resorts out here in California, and then um, by like uh, early 2000s, I started becoming a sous chef. Uh, uh, so the level, it's a brigade system. So you start what's called a commis, C-O-M-M-I-S. And um, that's like the beginning prep cook level. Then you move up to a line cook. Mm. Then you move up to a saucier, which uh, is like kind of the sergeant on the field. And then, then you move up to a chef de partie and then a sous chef and then a chef de, uh, de cuisine and then finally to executive chef. And so just kind of made that career. I kind of went a different path than a lot of my uh, contemporaries because they were hitting all the hot restaurants in San Francisco and New York. So the stuff that was popping off in like um, early 2000s, A16 in San Francisco, the Campton Place, Elizabeth Danielle um, with Daniel Patterson, um, all the Michael Mina restaurants, you know, these hot restaurants in San Francisco and New York. It was all the French restaurants, the stuff coming up um, in the village and, and in, in Soho. And then and then a few years later, like you had the Jean-Georges stuff with Mercer Kitchen and then Danielle Ballou. And then you had David Chang come on the scene who completely just crushed the scene in 2004. So, But I moved towards hotels hotels and resorts and things like that because I got married and um, I couldn't afford a married life being a line cook, you know? And so... Um, Did they it, pay more at the... 
Now that I look back, I didn't pay that much more. But there was, <laughs> there was health insurance and there was all that stuff. And I was trying to be the st- walk the straight and narrow. And um, at the time, it, it was a little tough. It, it, it would be like, I don't even know how to describe the difference. But all I can say is that you, you, you see your colleagues being written up in articles, um, being the hottest restaurant, being young chefs with their arms crossed and their pictures taken, you mm-hmm. know, like being fresh double XL freshman class, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and all yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah. And, and then, and then you're cooking weddings and breakfast and, and birthday parties and things like that. Um, it was tough a little bit on the ego and the soul, but uh, what I did, cause I don't know what made me confront that moment, but I, instead of getting mad and jealous, I decided to use these times to work on my own style and my own craft. And that started to, I think, become the cornerstones of what Kogi is, which is um, taking care of everybody, you know, not just the cool people, not just the rich people, not just the, the folks that know what's the hottest, but, um, but you and your family on vacation, you know, um, going to visit, go, going skiing in Lake Tahoe or going to visit the ride, ride the boats on the Sacramento River or something, you know, and just being there for a weekend trip, going to Six Flags. And and finding my voice in taking care of everyone in every situation, and no one's better than the other. And even when you're grumpy or when you're nervous or when it's the most important day of your life, like your wedding, things like that. So that started to define my cooking style, you know. And then because I think if I didn't have that time, and then when Kogi happened, which is um, – I don't know if we're going to get to it, but it was a phenomenon yeah, yeah, that yeah, broke yeah. through, right? Yeah. Uh, if I had only been the hot hipster chef at, up until then, I don't know if my soul would have been deep enough to take care of everyone that we confronted in those years, in those early years. Because um, being a hotel chef and being a resort chef, it not only opened up how I felt about people, but it also built a skill set that you don't get in small restaurants, which is batch cookery. Um, being able to cook for a thousand people, being mm-hmm. able to cook for, you know, a wedding of three fifty, and have everyone have their food at the same time, and so those are, those are muscles and muscle memories that I built. Uh, while others were getting fame early, I was in obscurity, but I was building this and this knowledge. sound, this yeah. knowledge, and yeah. the sound of my of who I would become. You know, right? And this led to a you somebody talk you into a truck, or so you, one day you're sitting around going, hmm, I got um, an idea. The weird thing about my life, that's why I'm always so nervous when shit goes well. Um, <laughs> I, I, I say, man, you, you're such a, a humble cat. Yeah. Um, and a humble dude, man, that, that um, I was telling um, Alex is here also, that usually, man, people that are that humble and that successful been through a lot of shit. Yeah, man. And especially yeah. if you came from the, the early 90s, you know, and yeah. if you did come from a lot of shit. Yeah. And you and, and you did come from the late eighties, early nineties, mid nineties. Right. Then there are codes, and there are there are I don't know. There are laws and codes and and scriptures and and you and there's know, different codes from different yeah, regions, right? Different so, codes, different regions. Um, but it's like martial arts, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. it's there's a a lot of that doesn't exist anymore. But I don't I don't knock what's happening now. I think it's evolving into something that's a little more free. And so I, you know, I have I have teenage kids and I see the way they relate to each other and right. it's uh it's becoming something really beautiful right now um where they don't even consider 
the differences amongst each other. They're just, they're all about just th- these like collaborations with each other in, in very, very unique. You mean um, nationality ways. wise? Yeah, or nationality, wise. personality, gender, right. um, everything, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and uh, it's not okay to say some of the jokes that were being sa- said back in the 90s. It's not okay to, to do these things. It's not even the way they look at each other anymore. It's not even that. And so, but yeah, I, I guess that comes from just being around and growing up. But uh, yeah, Kogi, all these things led to the beginning of Kogi because, um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Man, that's yeah. awesome, man. So yeah. we got Alex C here mm-hmm. also. We're going to get back to the, the whole Kogi okay, sensation sure. in a second, man. But Alex, um, you want to jump in today. You had some concerns and some things you want to talk about. I'm going to yeah. give you the – can we pass the microphone to Alex? <laughs> I would say concern. I mean, um, it's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, um, besides being a big fan following Roy's career, um, that I wanted um, – you know, wanted to get him as a guest, you know, as we talk about episode nine. Right. Um, because it was an important episode for, you know, both um, me and Riza, but for me especially because it kind of, um, you know, we live in an age now where, you know, the term cultural appropriation um, um, is tossed around a lot, right? Um, and, you know, just kind of reminded me in, in doing the show when Wu-Tang first came out, and I think we talked about this in the second episode, you know, me being from San Francisco and, mm-hmm. you know, listening, you know, more to like The Chronic and Souls of Mischief and all that stuff. Right. When Wu-Tang came out, I was like immediately suspicious, right? Because if you looked at the all the, when the single came out, there was no picture of them. It was when the album came out, there was no, you didn't know who the fuck they were. Yeah, so yeah. like I was suspicious because I didn't know if they were making fun of Chinese people, if it was like, if they were really Chinese people and if they weren't, like, why would they call themselves Wu-Tang? But, you know, eventually kind of the, the, the buzz and, you know, then everyone in high school started listening to it and then I was exposed to it. And, you know, when I heard Mystery of Chess Boxing for the first time, then I was in, right? Because... Um, and I always say this, and we, we, we talked about this when we pitched the show, is that Wu-Tang is accessible to an audience in a way that's different than, let's say, NWA was, right? Because even though you could tell Wu-Tang were these cats from the street, the references that they were making kind of um, cast a bigger tent, right? Whereas even though, you know, like I always say, NWA changed my life because I'd never heard rap music like that before, and I'd been listening to, to hip-hop there's only so much I could relate to from my background. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas Wu-Tang is talking about comic books and especially they were talking about these Kung Fu movies where clearly they had respect for them. Right. And then kind of, I was sold and we wanted to do an episode that addressed that addressed two things addressed how, you know, what perhaps sometimes we call cultural appropriation could be a form of unification because it made me feel like, you know, even as a, you know, teenager, like, oh, I could sit with Riz and have something to talk about with him, like, I, in a way that I could not do that with Ice Cube. Um, and the second part was, like, those movies actually really, like, I always feel like a bad Asian talking to Riz because he knows, I'll be, like, talking about, like, yeah, that's the one when they did, you know, the fucking Tiger Sound and all that shit. And, he t- and he's like, no, 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 but here's the story. And, you know, so the stories meant a lot. And um, even when they talked about their names, like, well, there's a reason why the Ghostface is called Ghostface, and there's a reason why, you know, we call Dirty Dirty, and, and the seriousness, I mean, um, you know, there was some, uh, 
alleged fisticuffs over names. So, you know, we'll talk about that wow. <laughs> another what? time. Yeah, but uh, um, um, so they took that shit serious, um, and we wanted to do an episode that kind of showed how uh, uh, some of those movies might be landing in a really profound way, and, and also talk about how actually you know it brings the cultures together. And you know, I, and that's part of the reason why you know Roy, I feel like. Um, he stands for a lot of things. Um, um, he stands, you know, for for Asian people. He's Korean. I'm Chinese. Um, he he's obviously represents hip hop. Um, and I, um, I think the first time I ever spoke to you is when you were doing local. Uh, and I'm I remember put the mic. Uh, we have two mics. I'm gonna put. The <laughs> but uh, I remember. All right, I'm, I'm talking to King Tech's mic. Man. This is like this is like a moment for me. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> But I just remember, right, because I think when we talk about appropriation, a lot yeah. of that is comes because when people don't have a fuck, they have a lack of respect, right? Yeah. And I just remember, um, and this is something that always kind of um, stood out to, uh, one of many things, but stood out uh, um, to me, you know, when I talked to you when you did Locals, like, you know, you were going into Watts, mm -hmm. and you said, you know, you, you were telling me, you know, we would ensure we, we did it the right way, we made sure we were good, we talked to the OGs. Mm -hmm. We talked to the double OGs. You said, man, we even talked to some of the triple OGs, yep. you know, um, and... The grandmothers, the aunties. Yeah, the, do you know what I mean? The senior center, the mothers, everyone. Yeah, and so for me, um, knowing that just you could hear in the music the respect and then having sat down with RZA and all that, just the respect that he has, you know... Um, um, for at least this this one aspect of Asian culture, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, just made me as a um, Asian person feel you know much more comfortable with that, and you know, it makes you feel closer to people that you wouldn't yeah. necessarily feel close to. So I, you know, but I know you know we knew when we did this, there may be people that watch this episode and didn't feel that way. Maybe other Asian people that watch this episode and were like. Man, I don't, you know, I don't know what to make of this. You know, I mean, I just haven't now. I'm, you know, we haven't spoken about this. I don't know how you felt about that. If you even, you even got what I'm saying, I, I do get it, and I've been. Um, I, I think in the email uh, the other day, you posed the question, so it gave me a day or so to think about it, and then now hearing it from you, and then watching the episode last night. Um, like, first of all, I'm totally cool with it, you know, because. Here in LA, we grew up watching kung fu movies together as, as little kids, and it didn't. We didn't even look at each other as black, Korean, Mexican, anything. You know, it was this was a. We were all into it. They were they were being played on Channel Five on Saturday, so they were like cartoons, you know. And you know, it was just like there's this beauty in being being a kid and being a little bit ignorant and innocent, you know. And um. You know, and you're just watching this thing together, and you're, you're you're experiencing the whole thing together. I also thought about like where where the Wu Tang and RZA and and Ghost and all of them looked at kung fu movies and and connected to it on the spiritual level. We have to look at also how we, we're not talked about a lot, but how many Asians there are in hip hop. You know, behind the scenes from the very beginning, and especially like we were talking about earlier, the the Filipino DJ crews. You know. And I was just, I, I was thinking about that of, of, you know, my heroes like Qbert and, and, and Shortcut and T-Styles and Babu and Retmatic and everyone, you know, um, they are, they are a part of hip hop. They, 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 they are a cornerstone of hip hop, but they're not, they're not appropriating the culture. 
they they you know it's not like it's not even like a premeditated thought it's just they're they're spiritually and naturally a part of the culture and and contribute and not just contributing but defining and, and architecting um what it what it means to be a dj you know and 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 if you look behind the scenes in management and um early source writers and double xl writers and vibe writers a lot of them were korean and chinese and taiwanese and um a lot of management a lot of agents you know i mean real people like like ted you know like ted with snoop you have sophia chang you have caroline yim you you know you have you have with uh jeff chang on for, for jeff uh, chang yeah you know like this shit is real yeah you, you know yeah the yeah the mountain brothers come out early um you know and so to me it's i come from an era where we come from you know sets and crews and and f families and you know, it meant more to be a part of a, a crew or a club than it meant to be, you know, find a difference or or or, or only hang out with Asians or only hang out with, you know, your own race, you know. So I, I, I connect to it. I, I, I want to believe that, that, that what I see and what I felt from Wu-Tang and RZA and what you guys are portraying in the episodes, I don't take any offense to it. Yeah. to be honest you know yeah. and um and it is we're american kids you know and I, I think a lot of like and you know people that are too touchy about it that are that live here as second generation immigrant kids like what the fuck you got to do with the mother country anyways man we're here you yeah. know and it's like this is how we experience these things we put our own dialogue our own interpretations our own imaginations into these things you know I did have a question about Last Dragon though when I first saw it. Mm. I remember that because I I love I, I really enjoyed the movie. <clears throat> I just still haven't figured out whether that was appropriation or not. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I never thought that about Wu Tang though. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And you I don't you feel the res you could feel, you could almost like feel the respect in the music, right? You I could I mean? feel the respect, but again, I think it's it was to me. I want to say this correctly and paint the right picture. It, it wasn't even a thought to me because to me. Wu Tang connecting to Shaolin, it wasn't even something that my 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 front brain was even like computing or 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 adding up. It was just that was what it is, you know. It's just culture. It's life. It's America, and um, it's hip hop. It's 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 art, you know. And it and it's just this is how they connected to it. And it's the same thing as I think of, you know, crews like Scratch Pickles and. And the beat junkies, and especially Cuber, who was a huge hero of mine, as I used to watch him when he first came out, you know, and like it wasn't about like what's this Asian kid doing making hip hop and scratching records. It was like it's just that's Cuber, you know, and and I feel like if we could get to a place in the world, and especially in this country, like that again, where we can just appreciate like fucking ill shit together. Um, Instead of making it so vocal about like, oh, you can't represent that because you're not that, you know, um, I don't believe in that, man. Look at look at what I've been through personally. I'm a taco truck vendor in the city of Los Angeles, who's Korean, but because I come from and and I also represent an area in Los Angeles on 103rd Street and Grape in the Jordan Downs housing project where I've been accepted. And I'm not, I wasn't just given a pass in both communities and both cultures. You know, I'm a child of these cultures, you know, and, 
And I'm not trying to be them, and I'm not trying to act like anyone I'm not. I'm just myself, and and I've been accepted, and I've gotten the Rockefeller chain of taco chains on my neck, you know, of being one of everyone, you know, and but on paper it could look like I'm I'm appropriating Latino lonchera taquero culture um and exploiting it to make something of myself but if you ask anyone in the city any block any any neighborhood about kogi they're just going to speak of it like you would speak of like like Riza speaks of Shaolin they're yeah. going to speak of the story they're going to speak of the names they're going to speak of the nuance they're going to speak of the respect and all these things and because we come from that. Well, that's why I admire because yeah. you, just the way you move, you move respecting mm-hmm. with respect and with humility. And I think, you know, and you, and you always seem to keep it real. And I think all cultures respond to that. I'm going to ask just one uh, question for Ryan. I'm going to pass you, pass you well, my I mic. Question for you too. Okay, all mm-hmm. right. Um, but um, I'm just kind of curious, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm from San Francisco. You're from California. Do you think that the idea that we, and I think a lot of other people there in tech being from the Bay, kind of accept people of different cultures, you know, doing the hip hop thing more than other parts of the country. Because, you know, and even myself, I played basketball and then I ended up playing basketball in college. And that was very, but I went to the East Coast. And that, you know, when I grew up, it was very normal to see really good Asian basketball players. But there it was just kind of like, you kind of like, not that I'm saying it was real good, but it was like, you're a little bit more of a freak and, and scratch p- pickles you know, from the Bay, uh, um, 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 beat junkies, LA, do you know what I mean? And is it because California is what it is that like we, it, it was kind of more normal for us? Cause if you talk, especially with other Asian folks, if you talk to the, you know, ones who grew up in different parts of the country, like they didn't have that kind of experience. So like, is it kind of a uniquely California or West coast thing as an Asian person for, or for all cultures that when we look at hip hop, like we're immediately much more like, oh yeah, that's normal. You know? I mean, I think definitely just from the sheer density of the populations of the fact that, you know, there's so many Asians on the West Coast and, and certain parts of the East Coast and then maybe down, now down in Houston and, and Louisiana and um, parts of Atlanta now. But, but as you, even now as you go throughout this country and travel, you know, um, you see the difference. Like when, if I go to Des Moines, Iowa, I see the difference, you know, in, in the amount of Asians that live in those areas in these big, even big cities like St. Louis, you know, um, sometimes, sometimes in, in certain cities in this, in, in, in our country, I can't, I can't walk around with my family at night because we become marks because we stand out, you know, um, I'm walking around in a city that doesn't have that many Asians, you know? So, you definitely notice it, and so because of those shared numbers, yes, you, you know, you you go San Francisco at three p.m. on the buses, man, this fucking hell of Chinese kids <laughs> all listening to hip hop, being hip hop, you know, um, spitting and battling each other, right? You know, and that just feels normal. That is normal, you know. And so, same thing here. You co- you go through K Town three p.m. on the bus, you're gonna see a grip of 15 year old kids that are all Korean, you know, um, and, and just completely hip hop. So yes, that, that makes a difference. But now you're seeing the migration of more Asians throughout the country. And, uh, you know, you're seeing areas like Houston, you know, Houston and 
uh, New Orleans and Atlanta that are going to start developing um, culture and contributions as we get into the next decades. Yeah, know? it's really interesting because if you talk to non like mm-hmm. uh, teenagers that aren't Asian yeah. but like love like Joji or like Rich Brian, Rich, and, yeah, you know, it was crazy. I remember being in Long Beach talking to some dude and you know we we're just having a you know at a bar having mm-hmm. a conversation about hip-hop and then i was like yeah yeah you know this was a few years ago i'm like yeah you know there's these uh dudes in china that are doing trap music it's actually all right mm-hmm. and he goes oh you mean the higher brothers and i was yeah. like you fu- you you know them like and yeah. he's like oh yeah that's just dope you know i was just like wow like wow so yeah. like you know it's actually Man, you're right and yeah. it's becoming international now yeah it was Southeast really Asia, interesting Singapore, uh korea china you know well, the funny thing is, I think it's uh, for the international part, I, and I'm only half joking. Look, I think the Higher Brothers are dope, and I uh-huh. was a little suspicious in the beginning, but because of the way uh, uh, hip hop is now, where like mm-hmm. you know, you it's more like, in, unfortunately, in some respects, less lyrics based and more vibe based, and sometimes you don't really understand the motherfuckers. Yeah, it's perfect for Higher Brothers because like it's not yeah. it's, it's, le- <laughs> yeah. it's less no. I mean, I mean, serious. It's less important for them to understand the words than to yeah. get the vibe of it. So that therefore, uh, on that level, like mm-hmm. people are connecting to the music without really needing to understand everything they're saying, which is interesting. And let's even talk about the all the different elements of hip hop, b boying. That's mm-hmm. Korean all day, <laughs> all day, right? You yeah. know, um, and so I don't think that. Koreans b-boying, you know, is appropriation of hip-hop culture or, um, or you know, American culture or anything. They're connecting and they're progressing the art form, you know, and they're just a part of it. It doesn't mean they're taking it away from someone. And so I, I feel the same way about, you know, late 80s, early 90s, RZA and, and Wu-Tang connecting to um, the vibe of Shaolin and, and you know, monks and and kung fu um and so yeah i I loved what you guys did man i'm not gonna put any spoilers out there but Mm -hmm. i loved i loved what you guys did i got a a question for i got a question for alex this is back to tech episode nine man what the heck was going on with the nikes the kung fu the the thing gotta explain to me what was the thought process behind making it kind of like an urban kung fu scene going down? Was that through the eyes of Ghostface? Yeah. yeah. Or, or you, can you explain yeah, what the thought process was? You know, um, like I, I was just talking, you know, telling Roy, um, one, it was an important episode for on my end for me to show how like Wu Tang music drew me in closer than any other. And I was a huge hip hop fan, you know. Um, drew me in closer in a way that other uh, hip-hop music at the time wasn't when I finally listened to it. Um, and the other part was how, um, spiritually, the movies really meant something to the members of Wu-Tang. Like, they they took, like, real, like, RZA will quote movies that, like, I know, but I, I, I don't know well enough to quote because just, I just think of the fighting. And he's like, no, but this was the story. And they had to come together. And he's like super passionate about it and 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 um the other members are too and we wanted a way where like even fans of Wu-Tang probably don't understand that part right that no they took the movie serious they took their names serious and we really wanted to show this connection um and specifically with Dennis to um you know to those movies and in a way when he's kind of seen the movie in his own head because the way, and we can we can actually talk about it because this will be released the, uh, the same day. Yeah, that um, 
that for the story, him making this connection to the movie he's watching brings him back to Bobby, to RZA, to make him, you know, kind of squash his beef with him and realize, like, they got to do stuff together and then they got to actually confront this yeah, problem they got. Scene of him imagining. Yeah. Almost pulling mm-hmm. it out from, from the screen in, into his reality in his head. Yeah. In the language. In the language. And, yeah, part of that's the language, part of that's the attitude, the hair, all that stuff. And part of that was like, you know what, let's give him... Let's not just have them wear the attire. Let's give them a little bit something different. So a little, yeah. all these other indicators that are making him look at the movie differently. Because in the beginning, you see it straight. Actually, the first two scenes you see straight. The yeah. second one is, uh, the third one, he right. hears it differently. Right. But yeah. the image is the same. And then the, the fourth is just a complete sort of in his, in his mind. Thank you for that breakdown, man. Because yeah. I, uh, I thought I was smoking something for a second, yeah. man. I was like, I'm watching something like... This dude was got Nikes on. Like, what the right. fuck is happening right now, man? I was smoking. It was three a.m. last night. And yeah, you, yeah, you thought you was gonna get a little left field right uh-huh. there, man. But uh, now let's talk about your flick, man, dude. Mm-hmm. I, did you just did they make like the Avengers were in your movie, bro? Like, what the hell is going on? So uh-huh. I'm like, what the hell is? Yeah, what, we have we have what? a we have a cooking show on Netflix called The Chef Show. And okay. So over the last. Was it 2019 now, right? So over the last six years or so, yeah, uh, I have had the fortunate opportunity to become friends with John Favreau, right? Who is the is the G? Is the G? Yeah, the G. And so we became friends on set. (laughs) How the hell did that happen? I I I got called on as a as a as a creative consultant, right? So if he was doing a movie about DJs, he may have called Called you. Okay, you know, um, but he was doing a movie about a chef. So uh, somehow. I got, I ended up being the one on the list. I got the job. Uh, well, let's let's get it straight yeah. though, man. Do you think you got jacked? Like, because a lot of these Hollywood dudes, man. Um, I had a friend that was a writer, right? Yeah. And we were watching Gone in sixty seconds mm-hmm. with Nicolas Cage and Angelina Jolie's name, and I knew the damn writer dudes, and, and it, it was mm-hmm. Sway. So I called my dude. I was like, "Hey, dog, how the hell she get the name Sway? Oh, hey, Jack, whatever's hot, we Jack, bro. That's how the shit works here." Uh. I'm like, so when I saw, you know, the clips of that movie, I'm yeah. like, dude, it's pretty much your life story. Yeah, but the crazy thing is, um, after meeting John, I realized that it, it he did it had nothing to do with me. I mean, he I, he had me in his maybe his subconscious or peripheral because right. he had had the Kogi truck at Iron Man, the Iron Man rap party at Gwyneth's house. So Gwyneth was Gwyneth Paltrow's on shit early, um, and and. And that was the whole foundation of, of Goop for her. Like, she was already doing that stuff just as who she is. She's like an A&R of, like, um, food and, and stuff like that. So, okay. and beauty products and lifestyle and, and, and spirituality. So, she was on the Kogi truck really early, and she brought it to the Iron Man set. And so, John had had it, but he didn't really know, you know, the whole story behind it. And then he wrote this whole script on his own. This is his script. This is his life. This but is I saw his... him getting tattoos, bro. Like I saw him actually going and getting your tattoos. Is that? It correct? wasn't mine. It was he. He was influenced by these other chefs, uh, more from the south, like the the bigger kind of like chefs from like um, that would cross their arms and and like um, right. would have like a big old like chef knives on their arms and stuff like that. Okay. And so, so this the, when he we first met each other, the whole script was fully intact and. Really what it was, was him and I, do we vibe together? And we met and we spent six hours together that first night. And, 
you know, for me, again, like you mentioned earlier, I've been around and, you know, you don't get to a certain place of humility without having going through a lot. So right. I have a pretty good bullshit detector, I think, right. you know, right. and um, and I didn't feel that from John at all. You, just like I didn't feel that from your question, you know, were the Wu-Tang appropriating uh, Asian culture? And so I was like, all right, John, let's do this. You know, like as long as you give 110% to cooking, because this is our craft. This is all we got. You know, this is like, it's not a game, you know, and I can't, I can't be a part of something if we're going to not take the little, little details and little nuances seriously. Right. And I um, saw you behind the scene, like yeah. literally holding his hand, pushing the thing yeah, forward, pushing, yeah. doing this, everything, right? And he was down for it, man. And that's who he is as a person. He, um, he takes really, really deep dives on stuff, whether it's comic book, uh, with comic book culture, life, art, right? Whether it was the swing culture, swinging culture, and act, uh, out of work actor culture, and uh, what, what year? The late nineties, uh, L.A., mid nineties, mm-hmm. L.A., and um, you know, really going in and getting the right music, the right details, making sure the making sure the fit is right, all the de- the belt, the belt to the shoelace, to all those things. Those are really important to John. So. I was originally just supposed to go in, teach him a couple skills, and then jump out. Okay. But um, never left. Never left. <laughs> I never left. You know, I wasn't supposed to be there the whole time, and I just never left through post-production, everything. Even they kept calling you back in? He or? wasn't even calling me in. I just showed up. Oh, man, he's back again, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, maybe that's what they were thinking. I just kept showing up, you know, like at the back of the gym or something. Like, I, just kept, I just kept showing up like... Call time, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 2 a.m., it didn't matter. Like, I was right there. Boom. And um, and we just connected, and and then it all ended, you know, because a movie ends. And, right. Um, and what I found out in Hollywood as I over the last few years is a lot of these folks that work together, they, they spend these really, really intense, intimate times together, and then they're... They never see each other again. They maybe see each other like a Golden Glow party or something like that. Right. But um, yeah, you go from you go from fucking to being strangers like next day. Like everything just stops, you know. And mm-hmm. it's really weird because I don't have that type of relationships in in life. And so um, we were both having withdrawals. <laughs> from each other. Yeah. So you were like, "Hey man, what's what you want to do? What you want to do? You want to do some work on yeah, something? Yeah. Hey, let's do something." And that's how it started. So we have this show, um, the Chef Show on Netflix, which is an extension. Uh, instead of creating a sequel or or anything else, we um, just decided to continue to cook together, and uh, we started calling friends over and people we admired, and started with John's friends and his circle, and. And I started bringing in other chefs and things like that. Now, so. John really got into this, bro, because I was watching really some interview. It. The dude made his kitchen into a restaurant-type kitchen or something that mm-hmm. he was breaking. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. And he, it, it wasn't like um, – it was It was really uh, – <laughs> it was a really beautiful moment when he when he unveiled it to me. Because cause most <laughs> people on his level, if they're going to redo their kitchen, they'll do it like a Tuscan vibe, you know, like – or Napa Valley vibe. It's okay. going to be a lot of terracotta or hearth ovens and big open wood fires and um, hanging copper pots and right. cornucopias and all that stuff, right? It's going to it's going to have that kind of like what do you call it tarnished uh, you know patina look and all these things. I walked in and it was like, it was like a like a straight up restaurant kitchen with stainless steel <laughs> stainless steel everywhere hoods what um, yeah uh, big 
you know, eight top burners and, um, you know, the, the, the drop down ovens with the heavy handles and big old three compartment sink, you know, and, right. uh, yeah. And he just really got into it. Then he started, uh, really getting into, again, taking multiple more deep dives into brisket making. Right. And then into bread baking. Right. Um, and then he's very, and he continues to be serious about it because he is such a deep diver. Cooking is an endless, um, it's an endless journey. You know, right. it, it uh, there's never a point, and people say that about Brazilian jiu-jitsu too, right? Where it's like, you never, there's never a point where it ends. You know, right. you're not, every, there's not a point where you get to a place. I have the saying, sometimes you get, the farther you, or like, the closer you get to the finish line, the far, you know, the, the, the farther you are from the end or something like that. Gotcha, you know? and, gotcha. and so that's how cooking is. Like, you, if you are a deep dive person, cooking is some place that you will never, ever end up running out of doors to walk through. So, if, if, yeah. so if you went to Morocco tomorrow and then you were like, "Oh shit, this is the whole different way than I thought it was possible." Would way. you change the way you're doing things here, or would you add it to your recipes, or what would happen exactly? It would. Um, it would probably. There would definitely be a few different techniques that I would maybe that would be direct literal new applications to what I do. But I think it would be more of like, especially at this stage in life, it would just um, contribute to my knowledge and um, because all my fundamentals are there. And so it would just make it more psychedelic, you know, mm. it would just, um, it would add different components and layers and, and color and feel and, and taste to what I'm doing. Um, and especially the way that I cook, I don't try, if I go to Morocco, for example, I, I don't try to become a Moroccan chef. Mm. I'm more of like, I guess, like a DJ in a sense. Mm -hmm. I'm more into sampling, into making layers and, and sounds and, and incorporating different things into making something that is my own, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, I would probably come back and you my food would just change, but you wouldn't really know like how it changes or like you, maybe you couldn't pick out exactly, but it would, it would feel uh, richer and deeper and, and I don't know, more complex maybe. Okay. You okay. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you, man, if the world was mm -hmm. coming to an end, man, how would you like to be remembered as a, as, as a human being? I think where I've, where I've gotten to right now is probably, a place that um, I would love people to remember me by. And then everything from here would just be executions of that. And they call me Poppy on the streets because I'm like a father figure on the streets, you know, and I, I take care of people and I, and, and uh, I'm always there. I'm always, I always go the extra yard to never forget and leave anyone behind. You mm -hmm. know, uh, our food is still $6 and $2, you know, uh, at Kogi, and even though the world and the economy has changed, we have taken uh, less for ourselves in order to keep the culture going. You know, and I know you appreciate that as, as an independent radio producer and, and show creator and culture right, creator. Right. Like these are things. It's important to keep the door at still five dollars. You know, yeah. because there are still sixteen-year-old kids that need to get in to listen to this and to eat this and. Um, just because the world has now become fifteen dollars for a bite of a of a fried potato 
French fried twirly, you know, stuffed taco thing, you know, right. it's really important for us to continue um, to be a be something and myself be someone that will always look out for the underdog and always be there for everyone, you know, and and I feel like I, I've gotten there in life, man. And so that's something that, so that that's one, I think I wouldn't, I don't have any desire or wish to get anything more for someone to remember me by. But now what I want to do, in, since I have been one of the lucky ones to get to this mountaintop mm-hmm. and to touch this snow and mm-hmm. like to experience it as a human being, I want to now execute. Like I want to do some foundation shit. I want to I start to deal uh, on levels of storytelling where I can inspire future generations to really understand their awkwardness and, and their dysfunction and, and their outsider nature. I want, I want to create foundations where I, it's not just one restaurant like local, but it's like, I'm, I want, I want to get to a level speaking of the Bay area. I want venture cap. I want to get to a level where the philosophies that I believe in that I think are right, that I become like a, like a tech startup where people can invest Whoa, 300, 400, because I'm, because I'm building that identity and that trust, I guess, right? As a, as a, as a social figure or as, yeah. a, as a public figure, I want to start from here getting into the mogul waters of getting a $450 million investment or cap, venture capital and then using that to better the neighborhoods that need it the most, you know? And, um, that's what I'm really focused on over the because I've I've kept it kind of underground street independent all these years up through my 40s now and if I'm fortunate enough to live another 40 years I want I want to die at least not seeing um, food deserts and you know under you know underfunded underutilized school programs um, continued incarceration um, and, you know lack of representation within um, the workforce and all these things, you know, so that's, that's where right. I want to take it now that I've, that I've been lucky enough to earn it, you know, man, amazing, yeah. amazing. And I, I, that's why I asked you that yeah. question. Cause your aura is, is, is giving me that vibe that, that beside being humble, man, there's a lot of, um, when you got angel wings on your back, there's a lot of pressure to do correct also. And, and yeah. I, I see the wings, brother. I Thank see you, you got some wings, I appreciate but you know, that. I'm from an era, man, where, um, I, I didn't tell Alex I was going to ask this, man, but uh, how about if we did a food truck battle? Because, you know, I'm from the MC battle yeah, era, you're, right? You're the competitor. I'm the competitor, yeah. man. I'm thinking to myself, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm the hippie. I'm the flower child, and you're, oh, you're the I'm competitor. Like, I was going to talk to Alex. It's like, yo, man, I see a two-part series, man. Uh-huh. We bring up Because from what I understand, everybody's talking shit about who has the best trucks and mm-hmm. food in L.A., right? I'm like, yo, we bring mm-hmm. the 10 trucks together mm-hmm. and, and let the fans decide. I mean, it could be simple. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you can go deep if you want, man. I mean, yeah. this might be a stupid idea, but hot wings. Let's just do hot wings battle or tacos battle or whatever you decide, man. They do it on the blogs. So, Oh, there uh, is a battle. Okay. There, there is a battle, uh, but not really amongst food trucks, but amongst tacos. So there, there's a... There's a um, blog called uh i think it's called la taco um yeah it's called la taco right i mean they're my homies it's just i had a brain fart but uh but they have a they have like a, a ncaa turn basketball tournament of taco 
uh, of tacos in LA. Right. They start with 64 and they go all the way down to the final four. Um, Are you in the final four, man? Are you? We, we've, we've, we've made it. Uh, we've, we've got second place a couple years. Yeah, for sure. And, okay. um, and, and who the hell decides on the, the, the last two? Like what? It's a mixture of journalists, bloggers, public, um, uh, Yelpers, and and true taco fans, you know. Right. And there's voting and, and there's campaigning and all these things. And a couple of years, it's been going on like 10 years. A couple of years, we've made it all the way through all the battles and we got there. Um, we, we've never won, <laughs> but, you know, um, but we've gotten close. Uh, the one that is kind of the, the reigning champ, over many, many years is Marisco Salisco, and they serve a fried stuffed shrimp taco with a um, avocado tomato salsa over the cold avocado tomato salsa over the top. And it's the most incredible bite. We have to take you one time. It's, the most, it's this taco that's smothered. Now, in, yeah, yeah, we go right now. <laughs> Where's it's, he at? it's in Boyle Heights. It's smothered, but it never gets soggy. And it's just this... Um, it's just like a style of Dorado taco where it's stuffed and fried, and it's kind of like it's a little bit like the Jack in the Box tacos, you know, right. I'm doing just, just injustice to Mariscos, but where they're kind of stuffed and fried and flattened, but, but it's just amazing. And, um, and so they have that, they have certain shows where they um, have a, a food truck battles and stuff, but they're usually dealing with folks that are just trying to make it. But I like your idea, picking one item. Uh, yeah, yeah. Getting yeah. the best of the best. Uh, yeah, yes. Because yeah. the, the only shows outside of the taco one are kind of the up and comers. Right. So you have like the G League. Right. And they do that, but they don't have they don't have the All Star games. Yeah. So Wu Tang <laughs> series sponsors a you know yes. a, a hot wings battle, man. Uh -huh. And we just had like five trucks show up, man. Would yeah. you would participate in that, or you want to be a I judge? I would love to judge. I would oh, love to judge. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I was trying to get you to to, to make some uh, hot wings, bro. I can't compete anymore because it takes me to a place. For you, it's what drives you, but right. it takes me to a place where I don't. It's same thing with drinking. I'm an addict, you know, so I don't have like an in between switch. I'm either gonna fucking destroy you, you know, <laughs> I will fucking I will destroy the fuck out of you. I will not lose, or I will I will kill you, you know. I, I, I literally Alex, will. Man, I said I didn't say UFC, bro. <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah, I said I know. hot wings. So I can't do that. <laughs> the hot wings are UFC to me. So, so, so the end of the night would end like this. If he loses, all of a sudden you just hear a gunshot. Yeah. He's ah, oh shit! He shot the dude. He's like the, the truck drives off. Yes. He's gone. It's like oh damn. So judge is perfect for me. Oh man. Well, we appreciate you coming uh, by, man. Okay. And it's an honor to meet you, bro. And um, I don't know what else to say, man. A fan and mm, and when can you. we? Uh, so are we doing a truck battle or not? Are you just gonna judge it? <laughs> You just got, uh, we can't get you to. to, to I don't enter. compete anymore. I've I've hung up that hat. You hung up the damn because uh, I can't compete anymore. Hall man. of Fame. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. yeah Hall well, of thank fame. you, my man, for coming Thanks, too. Dick. I'm shaking his hand, man. And uh, Alex, you got any last words you want to say in episode? Yeah. Uh, I just want to. I, uh, I appreciate you, uh, you, Roy, for coming in and spending time. I know you're busy, man. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, man. We can talk for another two hours. Yeah.